You're listening to the Gator Sports Podcast with your host, Zach Alboverdi. Coming in hot. And Graham Hall. Jumping. Coming smooth. Jumping. And the bass gets jumping. Brought to you by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Welcome into the latest Skater Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. I'm your host, Zach Albaverde, joined to my right, as always, by my co-host, Graham Hall. We got a lot to get to on today's show, and Graham, let's do it. I'm wondering when the offseason's going to hit, man. No, When's none. it going to feel like? Because SEC Media Days is only, what, five weeks away. And, man, I, don't, I haven't felt a lull at all. There's plenty to talk about. If anything, there's been a lack of recruiting these past 16 months that we're making up for lost time. We're not getting any rest, man. I, I can't get a moment's notice to take a break from all this news coming out. Well, and speaking of recruiting, a lot to discuss, but that'll be the last segment that we get into on today's show because there's a lot of other things that we got to discuss. Definitely the news on Thursday coming from Kevin O'Sullivan as he put out a statement. We'll discuss that as well as a wrap-up for this baseball season. Definitely big news this week in terms of the topping out ceremony that the Gators had for the football training center and uh, where things are at now as they've put in uh, 70 days worth of work to get all the steals up. So we'll talk about that. We'll bring you some comments from Florida coach Dan Mullen. And then we'll also discuss the news this week regarding the college football playoff as it is looking to expand from more than four teams. So a lot to get into today, Graham, but Let's start with the news Thursday and honestly talk throughout the week, uh, which was Kevin O'Sullivan and where things stood with him and LSU after Florida's season ended. And if you haven't seen it or read it by now, the Gators head coach put out a statement on Thursday and let everybody know that he is uh, not interested in the Tigers and they're going to have to go elsewhere to find their next coach. And the statement from O'Sullivan reading, I am the head coach at the University of Florida and remain fully committed to the Gators program. This is where I want to be, and I do not have any interest in the head coaching openings at any other schools. I look forward to continuing to build upon the success of this program has experienced over the past 14 years with the goal of bringing Florida back to the College World Series as we pursue yet another national championship for Gator Nation. And interestingly enough, the Gators swept LSU to win that national championship in 2017. But he uh, is not going to Baton Rouge, Graham. I don't know what your expectations were for this when this story came out. Several outlets, including Kendall Rogers, uh, had basically reported that he was their top target. And uh, he had to come out after the SEC tournament and say, hey, I'm the head coach at Florida. And now he really says it and makes it official. LSU is such a wild card that I really didn't know what to make of these reports. I think that you can definitely believe that they have become so open to opening the paycheck that any coach who may not be looking to leave but would listen if they came calling, they could feasibly have a shot at. So I thought that that maybe could make this interesting. It's good to see Kevin O'Sullivan put it to rest before LSU has really zeroed in on a candidate. I know there's reports out there that they've looked around and they've settled on someone that's not him and that he's still in the mix, that was still in the mix before this. But coming out and putting this to rest is what you want There are so many rumors this your week. coach to do. And as speculation continues to build, as we saw not even, I, I think, seven months ago with Dan Mullen, you never really saw those rumors finally put to rest that he wasn't leaving Gainesville 
for the NFL to have your coach come out there and do that before all positions are really filled really a month before the MLB draft that's huge for this team that's it's huge I mean you never get a moment's notice to stop recruiting as I said and that's right now the case for this baseball team we'll talk about this a little bit here now that their season's over but they're going to have to get right back on the recruiting trail and rebuilding this team after a disappointing finish and you can't have any rumors out there any negative recruiting possibly or any other programs are saying well hey he hasn't cleared up whether he's even going to be there next year. I know that he's under contract till 2026, but yeah, in this day and age, contracts mean nothing unless you're coming out yearly and saying, I'm staying here. I'm here currently. And if you're a Florida fan, you got to be pleased that he did that, especially at a program that before Florida's 2017 national championship, you could have said was a more desirable landing spot for a baseball coach. So it's a huge boost for the Florida program because they can now say that they are one of the competitive teams up there if you didn't already believe it. And they needed some good news Absolutely, from baseball after the way the season oh, ended. Oh, yeah, they did. That 0-2 Gainesville Regional, just the sixth time in school history that that's happened. Don't want to harp on it on today's show because I know Florida fans don't want to hear it. They've already moved on. They've already washed their hands with this team. But uh, it was definitely not... Uh, expectations lived up to after they had the preseason unanimous number one ranking and everything uh, off of the 2020 start that they got. But look, at the end of the day, they weren't able to capitalize on what looked like some answers that were found in Hoover and once again had an up up and down uh, moment in their season, which they've had throughout the year. So it's really not a surprise maybe that this happened, but just that they weren't able to uh, bounce back from it and just to lose in the fashion that they did to South Alabama. Just You don't see that. That was their worst loss in NCAA tournament history. I think SEC Network said their worst loss from any SEC team in tournament history. So uh, not what you typically see from O'Sullivan's teams. They'll be looking to regroup and get back next year. Graham will talk about you know what they have, what moves they need to make this off season, but still a lot of success and a reason why he's here for 14 years, going into year number 15. I mean, seven trips to Omaha, five SEC titles, and you know you look at what he's been able to do as well with you know 50 win seasons, uh, and now trying to make it happen once again. I think that this was just a disappointing season all around, and maybe they were like us; they caught caught looking ahead, got too consumed. Wanted to rematch with Miami, probably. Absolutely. You know, O'Sullivan kind of, I hate to use the term winced here, but he was a little bit taken aback at multiple points throughout the season about uh, comments that that Miami series was maybe uh, unsettling for this team, something that they should have learned from very early on, uh, just a disappointing start. And they never really fully, I think, rebounded from that start. I mean, last season, we talked about it ad nauseum, that 16-0 and start, only losing to FSU before the pandemic started. This was a team that really had that interrupted and spent the whole rest of the year before this season looking ahead to thinking they were number one, had a chance to make a run last year. Well, I think that was kind of the motto for the entire year, not to put them in a microcosm or or a defining headline, but the tagline for me of this season for this team was looking ahead. I think they were just ready to get to the College World Series, get to Super Regionals. So many teams year in and year out just kind of expect to make it there every single year and for the last decade who could blame this Florida team for just expecting that they're going to have to make work of the SEC and then get there at the end of the year I think that this team thought that they were going to do that and 
have a second gear or a third gear that they could just turn on at any point. We only saw, I think, glimpses of that, if it even existed, at that Vanderbilt series, the Ole Miss series. But other than that, it just looked like a team kind of looking ahead for postseason that never ended up even showing up. And I think this point has been made before, but, you know, Jeff mentioned it on the pod, Graham, and it was, I think, a lot of expectations set from the way that they got off to that undefeated start last year. But as he pointed out, they never got into SEC play. So you really didn't know truly how good that team was and how much talent they were and whether they really were deserving of that number one ranking. And we come to find out this year that they weren't. But at the end of the day, he's going to be able to keep recruiting well. And and you have the transfer portal now and, and certainly those options. Uh, but to have the new $65 million ballpark, to have come, him come out, say that he's staying, turn down LSU, that's just more ammunition for the Gators on the recruiting trail. And we're going to get to this first break. When we come back on the other side, we'll uh, switch gears. We will talk about the brand new $85 million facility that is coming to UF's campus in the spring of 2022. Welcome back into the Gator Sports Pod. Zach and Graham here. And Graham, it was great to be back on Florida's campus again this week and do in-person interviews. I mean, we've already had some here and there, but it was actually one with Florida coach Dan Mullen at the topping out ceremony for the Heavener Football Training Center and a lot of work that's been put in, 50,000 man hours since they started uh, putting the first piece of steel up. And it's been a year's worth of work that they put in since they started June 2020 as well. So to get to this milestone and have the big event that they had where you had Steve Spurrier out and as Scott Strickland as well to come out and make some comments, Chip Howard, a bunch of folks from the UAA that signed the final beam that went up. They had barbecue uh, served to all the uh, construction workers from Parrish McCall and a big shout out to the architects as well. Although Dan Mullen got a lot of credit from Scott Strickland for what he did to design and, and kind of work with the architects to put this thing together. But it's something that has been talked about, Graham, for so long. We've seen videos and, and kind of models of what it's going to look like. But now to actually see it uh, really come to life, it was it was a big moment for this program. The renderings only go so far. I mean... This was really a big moment for this program because it was the first step that this was not just feasible, but a reality. It was a thing that we had talked about as kind of a myth for more than a decade, in a sense. It was the gripes of Florida fans after many losses. Well, if we had so-and-so's facilities and their resources, darn you, Jeremy Foley, you name it. It all added up to this moment, everything that everyone had wanted as a Florida fan. There's no more excuses in my book. If if you heard what Scott Strickland said, what Dan Mullen said, there's going to be things in this football facility that no other program in the country has. And when you make a statement like that, obviously you don't only have to back it up, but then you have to go out there and prove what it can do for your program. So a huge next step for this program in joining the upper echelon that they've talked about when it comes to recruiting, being competitive year in and year out with landing those top prospects. Uh, And and now you can actually say, hey, you're one step closer. And 
it also has all their signatures up there, as you saw. Yeah, that's right. And it was funny. Mullen said that you know he, there's this building is going to have a lot of wow factors, and he was asked to kind of expand on that. And I don't think he wanted to. I don't think he wanted to give away. You can't tell him any secrets yet or any details about what's to come. And uh, but he did make one point, and I thought it was interesting because I didn't realize this, but just that this training center is not going to be football only. It's going to be accessible to all UF student athletes, which is not the case for most facilities like this around the country. They are exclusive to the football team. And Mullen and Strickland feel like that is a big benefit about this building. And it not just uh, helps the, the other sports and stuff, but he feels like it's going to help the football players. Uh, as Mullen pointed out, to be in the building and spend most of your time around fellow record holders and Olympians and national champions and all the athletes that you get at Florida that you might not get if you mix you know, different uh, players from different sports all in one building. So he feels like back in that run that they had in 06 and 07 and 08 when the basketball team and the football team were around each other a lot on campus that they kind of rubbed off on one another. So you're going to get a lot of that uh, in this building. And, and as he pointed out, I mean, hey, when – Official visitors come to town for the Florida softball team. Tim Walton can bring them over there and show them this nice $85 million facility and it looks so great. And the ladies are like, wow, this is really nice for the football team. And Walton be like, no, this is for you too. Like, you guys get to use this. Other programs around the country can't say that. So that is one thing that I, th- that I think is a, a feather in Florida's cap. But there's a bunch of the luxurious stuff that we're going to have to wait until spring 22 to see. Yeah, we're not going to see any of the iPads, the gaming stations this early. The recording studio. Yeah, all the stuff, the barbershop. I'm sure that stuff's going to be in there. I don't know if they're going to have slides or bowling alleys well, like the, Clemson. But... The resort-style pool that you can Oh, have. yeah, we've seen the renderings of that. And I'm sure that that's going to be the envy of every college student in the University of Florida that's not a student athlete when they're looking for a pool on campus and there only is a other couple and none that are as nice as that one. And yeah, the inclusivity that you mentioned rather than being exclusive to the football team, that is huge as a everything school that Florida always talks about. Yeah. I mean, that literally sums up the motto. How are you going to say you're the everything school and then build this $85 million complex and then you're going to make it exclusive only to your football team? That just doesn't really jive with that statement in my mind. And so good to see Florida do this. But yeah, all the bells and whistles, I guess we're going to have to find out when we get that media walkthrough. If it does come, I mean, now that they're doing in-person interviews again, I imagine that they let us back on campus in there at some point. But you're going to have to show it off because getting it on Twitter Letting other programs become jealous, that's what you kind of wait for in this mind because that is recruiting. And as soon as Florida can do that in a place where they can also come out there and say, hey, this is finished, we can also say, hey, we're the first to have such and such and such. Now we're going to reveal it. I can't wait for that moment. Absolutely. And I think that for this, uh, if folks don't realize, the Gators are kind of entering the end of their facilities master plan. They're in the third phase now. And it's going to be complete once this uh, football training center is done and once they provide facility upgrades to soccer and lacrosse. And this uh, three-phase process first began in 2015. The first thing that they uh, did with the first phase was the indoor practice facility in 2015, $15 million price tag. And then the Otis Hawkins Center in 2016, uh, uh, 25 mil. And then the renovation to the Exact Tech Arena, which was $64.5 million, uh, also in 2016. The second phase 
of this plan was the renovation in 2019 to the softball stadium, which was 15 mil, and Florida's new ballpark, which opened uh, last year, and $65 million price tag. So they have poured a lot of money and investment and commitment into facilities, and now it's paying off, and it's like totally changed this campus over the last five years. And it was cool to talk to Spurrier at the uh, topping out ceremony, Graham, because you know, I asked him what it's like to see all these changes, and he told me for the story, you know, it's part of progress. This is like what's expected. Uh, you got to have what everybody else has for recruiting. And then, of course, he took uh, took it upon himself to tell me about the time 30 years ago when Florida upgraded Ben Hill Griffin Stadium and put in touchdown terrace, and mm. he got to go take a photo with the uh, with the shovel in hand. But this is what he loved about the story: is that they debuted it for the 1991 opener. And he goes, here's what was amazing. We played San Jose State, and we had the largest crowd in the history of the state of Florida for a football game. Because it was sort of like opening a new stadium. He goes, that was a fun game. We beat them 59 to 21, I think. They were a blitzing team. We love those play- we love to play those teams. <laughs> and it's just, you know, the fact that he pulled the exact score, which is what it was, that he remembers that San Jose State was a blitzing team and he's still dogging their defensive scheme 30 years later and that he points out that the biggest game ever in the history of the state of Florida was for the opponent that was San Jose State it just kind of showed how strong Florida was at that point with their brand of ball but um it was cool to catch up with Spurrier this week what a legend and you know you mentioned Ben Hill Griffin Stadium improvements I mean that's next up there yep and I gotta say though I've heard some debate about what they can do. Do you preserve what's always been there, or do you do what you just said? You go all in on the future. Do you make it a dome, retractable roof? What do you do amenity-wise? What do you want to see, Zach? Put you on the spot. You are putting me on the spot. A dome for the swamp? How many rained-out games have you had to cover? Let me ask you this. That would be... Of course, the first dome in the SEC. What is the closest dome around here? Would it be the the Super it's Dome? Be Mercedes, I guess? yeah. Or no, yeah, Mercedes Benz. Yeah, in Atlanta, five hours. Unless, well, well, Miami has Hard Rock Stadium has one, right? It's not a dome though. It's a retractable roof. Though. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. But are you are you suggesting I a think dome or retractable I'm, roof? I'm saying retractable roof okay, because yeah. you can't I don't think lose. They, they don't. They won't go dome in games. Yeah, I, I don't think you can go dome. You don't want to become the next Tropicana field. I think that <laughs> I think that a retractable roof, you preserve what makes Florida football Florida football. Yeah. The heat. The sure. sweat. When it calls for it, there's not a cloud that's look calling for rain for you. Open that roof, baby. I will say that is the next thing, and Scott Strickland has mentioned that multiple times about wanting to enhance Ben Hill Griffin Stadium with the seating and a bunch of different amenities that they can provide. So that's coming down the pipeline, but right now all focus is on the football training center and what that's going to do for this program. When we come back from this break, we're going to bring you some comments from Florida coach Sam on his first in-person interview with the media in over a year uh, to hear what he had to say from the topping out ceremony. Have you ever built a house before? 
Oh yeah. So well, me personally, like not with my hands, but when we were here before, we we we, we built a home. We built our house that we're in now. Okay. We built the facility when I was at Mississippi State, okay. and now building this facility. Now my wife, you know, I didn't pick the backsplash and all that in here, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, for me, I think one of the things that, that we're very, very involved in was in meeting with people and had a lot of hands-on was the actual, was the layout of the building. You know, I think when we met with a lot of the architects and the design of the building, they view, they're viewing things in an aesthetic way, in that way. And our decision of coming in of a flow of people, we need to get from here to here. This is the fact where we need to, when we walk out of a meeting, how do we get people from the meeting to the locker room to the field in as efficient manner as possible? When they leave the field, these are the things that they need to do. Boom, boom, boom. How do we create and move that? Uh, as you see in the weight room, this wall right here gets knocked down. Yeah. Okay? You don't have when you're lifting weights. All Coach Savage has to do is hit a button, and he has the best tra- the best running agility surface to go train on in America. You don't have to go to another building. You don't have to walk to another area of the building. Yeah. It's connected. You know, you talk about nutrition. Whether you come in the front door and go through Gator Dining or whether you come through the Football Nutrition Center out, out by the parking lot of the side door. So anytime you walk in or out of the building, you're facing, you're facing you know, a, a nutrition deal. So sure. everything to me, through all our years and just, you know, of designing a facility before, all our years of playing out, of thinking of what we do on a daily basis for the football players uh, within our program, how do we maximize all of that yeah. uh, within a, not just having an unbelievable facility, uh, that's state-of-the-art, but it is extremely efficient and is going to help guys develop. So we went around and we visited, you know, obviously a building one before, uh, visiting other schools to get ideas, uh, trying to visit. I, I, you know, we went around and said, let's go make sure we go visit some corporate headquarters. Uh, you know, and as we go set up, why do people want to work at Google or Apple? Why do they want to work in different corporations? Are we creating that same type of environment that people, this is somewhere where people want to be? Uh, and I think that was, so we spent a lot of time looking uh, at a lot of different uh, businesses, different athletic structures, and then knowing what is going to be efficient and what our players need. What's, your, what's the best or your favorite part about the facility? Well, you know what? One of the things we spent some bunch of time on, this is gonna, probably going to be a little bit weird, is we have an area that was kind of like all going to be sectioned off and we all met. And I said, can you tell me what... Uh, college football is going to be like in 10 years what's the cutting thing we need in this facility 10 years from now we're all thinking i said i'm not sure so we actually redesigned part of the building that has an area right now for future development that it can immediately it's going to be i mean it's it's finished it's that it's going to be kind of a bigger area that is set for future development so that you know the 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 long-term planning but to me the favorite part of the building is the location you know, for us, the efficiency that we're going to have and the ability for us to create everything for our players to have everything they need right here at one place is going to be amazing. Did you mention there'll be some wow factors? Well, I think, I think the wow factors, one of the things we wanted to do is create the wow factors into all sports, for all sports to use, because the wow factor is a great time. It's kind of a, a social, relaxed time. You know, whether it's our recording studio that we have in here, you know, the barbershop, the virtual reality room for gaming centers, the golf simulators, the resort-style pool basketball and the basketball courts and the the multi-purpose lawn outside um, that you can host all different wiffle ball tournaments, kickball tournaments, volleyball tournaments. It's It's the whole wow factor for us, one of the big ones was to design that for all sports to create great student-athlete interaction uh, so that our players can be around 
Olympians and world record holders and national champions, and they can all interact and grow and learn from each other. Uh, then our locker room for the football players alone, the locker room will probably be one of the biggest wow factors. It's going to be the premier locker room in probably all of sports at any level. Good stuff there from Coach Mullen, and always uh, great to see him, and uh, this time see him face to face. It was it was great. I think he enjoyed it as well. I mean, it's been a while, and for him to be able to get in front of us and brag about an eighty five million dollar building, it's good timing there. Yeah, that's a press conference you want to do. I can <laughs> imagine uh, only good things coming out of that. It's a well, celebration. It's well, a celebration. The question we have is: Where will there be good things coming out of the proposal for a twelve? team college football playoff that was the news on thursday from the committee and if you're dan mullen i guess you would have been liking that last year because your team would have been in the college football playoff would have certainly been one of the six at larges which is what it's looking like right now in terms of the proposal uh which would pit the six highest ranked conference champions against the six highest ranked at large bids and the other format that has been proposed or how it would set up uh, with 12 teams according to the athletic would be the four highest ranked conference champions would receive a first round bye, while teams five through 12 would play each other in the first round on the home field of the higher ranked team quarters and semis would be played in bowl games so for everyone that was hoping for college football playoff expansion it's coming yeah. I I don't know what to make of this, man. I don't know what to make of this. I always have been an eight team guy. I was eight team from the beginning. I was eight team recently. I don't know why they just don't roll with that and why they didn't roll with that from the beginning when you had the four BCS bowls that you could have just kept uh. like they were and not changed anything but the expansion of the teams, but still had that system in place, not using the computers, obviously, but using those four main bulls. But here we are now with a dozen teams. It looks like this is like, I, I kind of want to go back in time. Bring me back to the BCS in a sense. Back, 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 back in time. Oh yes. Simple thing. Oh yes. T-Pain baby. Oh yes. A building a time legend. machine. Fantastic. I'm glad I said that. I just, I wish we could go back before the college football playoff because it's kind of like, it's kind of losing, it's kind of losing its prestige in my mind. When you change something so much, (laughs) you kind of like, you're waffling and you look like you don't know what you're doing. And I'm just worried that in 10 years, we're going to have teams saying, well, well, you won the championship only when it was a four-team. Mm. Or you won a BCS national championship, and they're already saying that, but we aren't yet at the point where people are nullifying a BCS national championship. I think that the more wrinkles you add to the future of college football postseason, you're going to just add more asterisks to current championships or recent championships. I, I just don't like it. And I've seen the arguments today from people saying that a 12-team playoff kind of also nullifies how serious each game is in the regular season. I mean, we already stay up till 2 a.m. to watch games on the West Coast, games that you aren't normally going to watch, sometimes games on Thursday, 
sometimes games on 11 o'clock on a Saturday before work. I mean, I think you're going to lose a whole lot of that. And you're going to get a lot of people that are just okay only tuning in when that 12-team playoff unfolds. Because, you know, and, and maybe you refute that by saying, well, Graham, right now, you know, the New Year's Six Bowl, that's kind of like the 12 teams. No, no, no. You, people care about how those teams got to that point more than they would about just a postseason. Because it's going to turn into March Madness, in a sense, where people are only looking at the postseason because it's the only thing that really matters, in a sense, here. But at least with March Madness, you had a realistic chance, in my mind, of someone running the table. And I don't think you have that yet in college football, especially, and this is a huge point, especially now that we're in this huge transfer portal era. Yeah, I think that people have buried their heads in the sand about how the parity is decreasing continually in college football. And that's the thing. I would say that if you didn't have the same national champion and the same four teams or majority of the same four teams that continue to make it year after year, we wouldn't have been pushing to 12. And we wouldn't have been seeing expansion happen so fast. Yep. But because there hasn't been the parity like you talked about, people want to see something new. And other conferences and other teams want access to this. So I think eight would have worked. I think eight makes sense. I don't think you need 12 teams to determine a national champion. But that's just one man's opinion. I will say that I'm sure for those teams ranked 9, 10, 11, and 12 that get this opportunity down the oh, line. Oh, that's the flip side. They're going to be so stoked. The part of me that loves watching those mid-majors, the part of me that can't stop bubbling the 13, 14, 15 seed when I'm filling out my March Madness bracket, it's going to love rooting for the 9, 10, 11, 12 seeds, hoping that they upset the Alabamas, the Clemsons, even the Floridas of the world because I just love to see the narrative upset. Yeah, and that's and that's what's going to change and, and have that possibility more open now, which isn't there. I mean, we know that those teams, they have a chance to make the top four, but they really don't. But the conversation also can't enhance past the point of actually providing an example of it happening because we've yet to see one of these mid-major teams, these non-Power 6 teams, actually go and do the dang thing. I mean, people mention Boise State, and they've mentioned Utah in recent years of teams that went undefeated and had a claim to a national championship. And there's a team, I guess, in Orlando uh, that had one a few years back. but <laughs> Some team. Yeah, some team. I don't know where. Disney. Um, that had a claim a few years back. But right now, you've yet to see a team actually run the gauntlet. And if we get that in a 12-team college football playoff, I will absolutely eat crow and say this is a good thing for the sport because I will think it'll shake it up. But right now, I just... I'm actually seeing, you know, semifinal round. That's the same four teams that you're mentioning and just less interest in the regular season. That's my biggest fear right now. And I hope I'm wrong. And, and teams being able to recover from losses that, that, that sting a lot more. Right but isn't now. that the case? Because you also were saying Florida, you started this point by saying Florida would have technically been in it. Yeah. And they ended the season with a horrible loss to LSU. Let's be honest. And lost some games earlier, and and I but, only but say horrible af- because I, I will say though after that showing in Atlanta they'd have been they'd have made it yeah they would have made it and I guess so you could say well I you know 
doesn't that mean that we should have a, a playoff? Well, I guess we'll find out. But right now, sitting here, I'm just a little bit pessimistic about it because I'm, I'm still thinking it's just going to make so many less people care just, about the regular season. I will say I'm glad some of those teams are going to get an opportunity over Notre Dame. Yeah. Because they got no business being in there every single year as one of those four seeds because they, they, they never could shake, you imagine they never shake anything up. Could you imagine that it would if Notre Dame actually did it now? Like, they blew it in the regular season, and then they make the playoff and run the table. That would make me laugh so hard, because that would shake up the narrative so much. Well, I want to tell you what I saw, which was shaking up the narrative. This weekend, or this past weekend, should I say, when Florida had, count it, Graham, 13 official visitors on campus, and two more unofficials that were big time prospects and yet the narrative was a bunch of complaining from mm, Florida mm, fans mm. they bring 13 official visitors 15 total guys in town and not just any 15 guys folks the Gators had four five star recruits in town four one two three four they had eight top 100 overall recruits in town. Mm. And three more. Actually, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. On top of that eight top 100, six of those eight were in the top 40 nationally. And three more were top 250 players. And let me tell you something, guys. Players of that caliber are not showing up. For the first time in 15 months when they haven't been able to take any visits and they're that highly rated and committing the first weekend. I don't know what land you guys have been living in, but that's not how it happens with those type of recruits, especially coming off of a pandemic. So for everyone that was hoping for commitments this weekend, and that's the reason why you're disappointed, sorry to bust your bubble, but you definitely couldn't have been complaining about the talent in town because this was the best weekend talent-wise Florida's ever had under Dan Mullen. You can go look it up because I'm going to have a story on Gatorsports.com about it. Read it. Talent-wise, this is the most that they've had in town. And I was told from a source that this is, they felt like, the most successful recruiting weekend that they've ever had. Now, the results will bear out in the months to come. But, I mean, you couldn't have asked for nothing better short of maybe some public commitments than that first weekend that Florida had. Yeah, you you walked in here and said that, and I kind of jokingly said to you, but what about the commitments, Zach? Nobody was circling June 8th in their calendar to commit. Everyone was talking about June 1st, the return of recruiting. These kids, the programs, the coaches have waited 15 months to be able to return to doing this. The families. The families. This has also been, and I don't know if people have followed this because there's been so much going on, but there was a huge kind of disbelief among the community about how we could allow the return of 25% attendance and full on-campus classes and everything else that you've seen, but yet delay this, which is so monumental in the lives of of not just the people in the programs, but so many people that you don't even think about that rely on setting up these events, the catering companies, everything that the program wanted to do. People were out of a job and and we were waiting for this to return. And this was a huge thing. And, And they have other trips lined up to other programs for the next six weeks, for the next two months. No one was looking to shut it down. 
this weekend. And if they were, they were likely thinking that this is the best offer that they were going to get. And how many times as a fan do you want to take a kid that thinks that this is the best offer they're going to get rather than the programs that are technically right now doing better than you during the regular season? I mean, you want the kids to be on campus that are going to choose you, that are getting the Clemson offers, the Alabama offers, that are going to Clemson and Alabama and saying no to Nick Saban and Dabo Swinney and saying yes to your program. You don't want a kid committing the first weekend and then wavering on that pledge and then possibly backing well, off. I mean, I mean, look at Julian Humphrey, Florida's top-rated commit. He he just pledged recently, but he's taking visits. He's at and, Texas and, A&M right now. Yeah, and now you got to, if you're a Florida fan or a staff member, that's something that you have to have out there versus bringing the kid to your campus, letting him go see some other schools, and then make that decision. And by the way, the staff encourages that. Yeah, I mean, I gotta, I mean I gotta, go figure out where you want to go before you're going to make a decision. I'm glad you note that because that is not the case everywhere. You, you hear that and you're like, oh, well, of course the, the kid can go everywhere. That You know, freedom, it's a free country. It, no, no, no. There are some staffs right now that are saying if you commit or even if you're high on my board, I'll Florida, stop recruiting you. Florida, State Florida just State's did that. quarterback commit just went out to Arizona State for a visit. And the minute he stepped foot on campus, offer pulled. they pulled his offer. And... That is, if a program like Florida State can do that, pretty soon Florida, you know, I mentioned Clemson, and we talk about them Clemson all the time. Does that, yeah. They do that. I mean, that is a realistic thing. But Florida, they understand that kids want to go recruits through the are, are going through the process, especially these next six weeks. Now, it's a different story if someone is committed and then they go to a different school, your rival school, repeatedly late in the process. That is definitely cause for concern. But right now, I mean, you got to be kidding yourself as a coach if you're thinking that a kid's not going to explore everywhere that they possibly can. I mean, people have been cooped up. Let them go out. And it wasn't like the weekend didn't produce results. I mean, you had guys come out and name Ford of their leader, Jamari Lyons, a four-star defensive lineman from uh, Melbourne. You also had uh, Jarrell Stinson, who's committed to Auburn, like you just mentioned. I mean, he's probably Florida's most likely flip candidate right now and has now got to make a final decision. And arguably their most in, important prospect that they had in town, Booker, I mean, he rated the visit a 10, raved about it. Uh, Florida kind of did a good job of now setting the bar high before he goes to Georgia and Ohio State and Alabama, uh, and he's going to make a decision in July. And they gained traction also with a lot of guys, probably most notably is the nation's number two overall player, uh, Walter Nolan, a five-star defensive tackle, who right after his Florida visit comes out and says, I'm going to shut down my recruitment and make a decision. Looked like he was really feeling a, a lot coming off of that visit. Then has come out and his dad kind of clarified, he's going to take some more trips, guys. Hold your horses. Which goes to show you and what you just spoke to, Graham, that these guys want to consider all their options before getting caught up in that first visit, which might have happened here with Nolan. And Florida might still have a chance to get him, but uh, to see some of the the inroads that they made, I mean, again, short of somebody actually publicly coming out and committing, it couldn't have gone better. As soon as these visits were wrapped up, Graham, they hosted another top 100 prospect, four-star tight end uh, Jaleel Skinner on Tuesday. So they just kept it rolling. This weekend, they're going to have seven more official visitors scheduled to be in town. Five of those guys are uh, top 200 overall prospects, uh, including a couple of them in the in the top 100. So, I mean, they're just continuing to, to bring guys on campus. We mentioned Julian Humphrey, who's uh, 
went and saw some other schools recently, Alabama, Texas A&M. He will be in Gainesville this weekend. Uh, so a, a tr- an opportunity for Florida to, to kind of solidify that pledge. But again, I mean, they made a splash with that first recruiting weekend. Uh, go to Gatorsports.com. Check out the piece that I put together of Dan Mullen's f- five best recruiting weekends since he's been at UF. I mean, arguably, this could end up being the best. And in terms of talent, this was certainly the best one. So uh, definitely the way that you wanted to kick off the 2022 cycle. And uh, that wraps up today's show. Definitely a lot of ground that we covered between the topping out ceremony, Sully staying, and certainly recruiting, which we know we're going to discuss a lot more this month. Uh, We'll do that next week. We'll cover all the latest news happening, maybe – this playoff will expand to 16 teams by the time we talk next week. Maybe we'll have a decision in NCA versus Alston or maybe some more crazy NIL info yeah. coming down the pipeline. Who knows? Always something seems to be going on. It is, but Graham and I will have you guys covered. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. For Graham Hall, I'm Zach Abelverde.